morning. So glad to see your face. You're just so bright and shining and positive and perky every time I hear you. <laughs> and you've known me a long time. Yes, we have. We have from when we were, oh gosh, what, seven or eight, nine years old? Well, I was going to say, what year was it that your mom became IFF queen? 86. So I would have been 10. Yeah, and I would have been 11. Yeah, there we go. We've known each other since we were 10 and 11. I remember seeing a picture of you, I think in your brother on stage getting an award and you had shorts and a little like pink ribbon in your hair and oh my sandals <laughs> and it's cute. So, okay. So this podcast, I think this is maybe the sixth episode. And so it's just fun for me to do. It's an outlet. Some people listen, but mainly it's for me <laughs> to get to see my friends and catch up and okay. Learn I'm things for myself. I'm so honored to be here. I mean, when you asked me, it kind of blew my mind to tell you the truth. I'm like, a podcast. I know those are big things, but I've never asked, been asked to be on a podcast yet. That's really neat. Oh, that's fun. That's fun because anybody can do it, you know, just like having your own blog, you know, so it's just, yeah. it doesn't have to be this big production, but it's what it is. So, okay. So IFF, for the people who are listening that don't know what that means, is what, Karen? The International Flying Farmer Organization. So what is Flying Farmers about and why were we involved in IFF? <laughs> well, Flying Farmers started out as an organization uh, where people who had an interest in either agriculture, aviation, or both got involved. And in its early days, I know that they had, you know, something to do with, they talked about legislation, you know, um, laws and different policies, things governing agriculture and aviation. But I think by the time you and I got involved in it, it was mostly a social organization. It, it really was. But we, um, for those of you listening, Christy and I were very blessed. We were in the teen officer organization and we got to travel the United States, Canada, and even one trip to the Caribbean. Yes, yes. To, uh, promote aviation and agriculture. That's and right. We had a ball. We had just so much fun. We did. And so from that teen organization, I was president and you were farm, mm -hmm. which is so fun, right? So the name of the pod is Farmeress. So, but Farmerette is a different take on that, right? So, <laughs> oh, and here, so, I, know, I know that your listeners can't see, but I did pull something out since you're on video and you can see me. Yes. For you this morning. I have <laughs> Tiara on that I got when I was a uh, farmerette. It is much loved. I have two daughters and let me tell you, this thing has been worn to Disney more times than I can count. It has been used on stage uh, for theater productions. I have gotten more use out of this tiara, my girls, than I could possibly tell you. It is one of my treasured possessions. I think I might be buried with this. <laughs> That's good. I think that's awesome. Here, smile. I'm going to take a picture of you. Okay. <laughs> I know. My mom, you know, so she was, so how this IFF works, so you have a farmerette, which is the teen queen, basically, right? Yeah. And then a queen and a duchess of the adults. And, and on both sides of it, you went through an internet, like an interview process. So you made a poster. And there was a committee that selected people. And you go through and you present that. And so um, my mom was IFF queen. And so each chapter is what they call it. So states or provinces, they just call them chapters. 
would have a representative that would go to become the international representative is kind of how it works. So, I mean, conventions used to be a big deal um, where there were like 1,500 to 2,000 people at a convention whenever we were growing up. And it's obviously gotten really small lately. Yeah. And so it's just not quite the same organization as it was then, but I will have such great memories. And I think I can kind of equate it. You know, we didn't have an FFA program in my high school, but we had 4-H. And so it's kind of like being a state 4-H or FFA officer. You know, Absolutely. That is a great equivalent. Yeah. And, you know, back in, I'm going to call it the olden days, meaning my grandparents era, uh, only men could be officers. So they came up with this queen system because when there were chapter or international conventions, the queen was kind of the hostess. She was the one that, you know, put things together and made sure there was food and catering and all that. Well, the job got to be too big. So they kind of crowned the first runner up as a duchess. And so that's kind of the evolution of it. But, you know, by the time you and I got there, there was the queen, the duchess, women could be officers by that point. You know, it, it was different in our day, but there was still a huge component of traveling to different chapter conventions and the international convention and workshop and, um, you know, getting to know other people in agriculture and aviation uh, across North America. Yeah, absolutely. And so we went to, well, let's think, we went to Oklahoma State is where the organization actually started, right? Right, right. Okay. mentioned there one year, and that's where you were crowned, or where you were given? Oh, no. I was crowned in um, Sacramento, California. Okay. I okay, gave up my crown in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, up in okay. Canada. And it was the following year was the 50th anniversary. Yes. And uh, we came back and we did the convention in Oklahoma for the 50th That's anniversary. But because they were doing all the, oh, what do I want to say, like preliminary you know, like the magazine and the promotions and the articles, you and I were blessed to be, be a part of that because they did all the publications a year in advance. So when you see 50th anniversary, you and I and our articles are in the magazines. That's true. That's right. I, I need to pull all those out. That was just so fun. You know, some of the things I remember we went to a fair, I guess it was the like the provincial fair. I don't know. In Saskatoon, didn't we? Or where was that at that we went? Yes, it was something like a, almost like a Renaissance festival. It, it wasn't Renaissance, but, you know, it, it was this type of fair, carnival, Renaissance. Oh, that was so much fun. And we had these little, we went bowling. And in Canada, I guess they used the little tiny balls for bowling. Not like, <laughs> you know, like you could palm bowling balls. I remember doing that. And just so much fun. We, you know, and we, there's always an element on chapter day of the convention where you go and do a whole day of tours of the local area, ag tours primarily. So in California, you know, we went to a lot of fruit farms, vegetable farms, and things like that. Um, and then we also the diamond almond plant. That's yes. where California. What's the difference between an almond and an almond? Oh, goodness. Now you're stretching my brain. One no, is they roasted when it's after it's roasted right okay i just know they shake the l out of it <laughs> there you go there you, you go. can pick up along the way right and then we went to the bahamas like you said on a cruise for one of the workshops and went to the blue lagoon and oh have such great friendships okay now your accent is is decoding right <laughs> 
Yes, and I live down here in Florida now, but I grew up on the border of North Dakota and Minnesota. I claim both. Like our farm was on the North Dakota side. All of my relatives lived on the Minnesota side. In fact, I went to high school in the North Dakota side. I went to college on the Minnesota side. I claim both. I spent just as much time in both states. I really do claim both, legitimately. Yes. That's good. That's good. And then, then after college, you went to, and you were actually in some pageants too in college, right? Like, oh yes, I ran for Miss North Dakota, and I got second runner-up in 1996. Okay, good. And so that's kind of as as far and as high as I went, but it was a wonderful experience. It, it really was. Um, it started, believe it or not, when I was 15. I was an ugly child. I, I was an ugly child. I had lots of acne. I had glasses. I had a very bad frizzy perm because that was the style back then. And my self-esteem kind of tanked. And so my mom got me into this just it's almost like a finishing school, um, you know, uh, how to be a young lady kind of class up in Fargo. She was very dedicated. We were two hours outside of Fargo and every week she drove me up two hours. I spent two hours at the class and she drove me home two hours. And there was a lady there by the name of Caroline Melro. God bless her. Um, she just really believed in me and she got me into pageants and things just started turning around. I mean, Accutane definitely helped the acne, <laughs> but it, it kind of turned my world around self-esteem wise. And that's one thing I try to instill in my children is if you find that one mentor or that one person that just believes in you and pours into you, um, that can make all the difference in the world. All the difference. Anything happened. My husband uh, went to college after we got married. I already had my degree when we got married, but he didn't. And when he went to a community college, he started that. I mean, he got his MBA. He went all the way. But um, he found one person in the honors college that just believed in him and spoke truth and life into him. And it, it's a game changer. It, it was just life changing, life altering. And um, yeah, I really credit her and my mom for taking me with kind of turning my life around. That's, I've never heard that story. I didn't know you that. No, I hadn't. No. Yeah. You know, yeah. the older I get, the more I realize, man, I've never talked to so-and-so, you know, from high school about this or that, or I never realized what they were probably going through. Or so I think maybe that's a, you know, an, an element of aging and we get a little bit wiser, hopefully, and more introspective about things. We can go back and say, what made that impact? in our lives and our friends' lives, our family's lives. And so that's really important. So absolutely. You met Jason at Florida, in Florida, and you were both Disney interns, right? Well, I was. He wasn't. Okay. Um, so I graduated from Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota in 1997. And I moved down here to do the Disney College program. Now, that's different. There's the Disney College professional internships, and then there's just the college program. I wanted to get into the professional internship, but um, for different reasons, you, ha you have to go through the college program first at that time. So I did, and 
um, even though I was paying for college credit, I had already graduated. I had my degree. I was using it as a foot in the door to actually have a job at Disney. I mean, Christy can attest to the fact that I knew from a very young age, I was going to Florida. I was going to Disney. I wanted the beach and the castles and I had pictures up all over my bedroom. I was a Disney girl from the time I was, oh, freshman, sophomore in high school. I knew where I was going. And um, I went down there and I was the gung-ho, pixie-dusted college kid. Um, I was taking all these classes. And in one class, I won dinner for two. Well, I didn't know anybody. I had literally packed my car and moved down to Florida and didn't know a soul down here. And so I was talking at work about, uh, you know, this dinner I had won and this young, handsome, 20-something waiter comes up and says, why didn't you take me? <laughs> and literally 10 weeks later, we were engaged. Wow. wow. That's good. And he, where is he from originally? He's originally from Ohio. Ohio. Okay. A suburb of Cleveland called Hudson. Okay. And so he was, how was he in Florida then? He never went to college. He okay. had a little bit of a different upbringing than I did. And he was doing construction and snow plowing with his dad. And he just decided, you know, this is the time in my life where if I want to make a change, do something different, I need to do it. So he just moved down cold turkey and got a job at Disney, happened to be as a waiter. Well, after we got married, um, and by the way, if my parents ever listen to this podcast, kudos to you guys who like one has a master's degree. The other one would have, if she would have finished her paper, um, <laughs> and they have this college educated daughter and they let her marry a waiter with no yeah. college degree. And that is a real testament to my parents judge of character because my dad walked away from seeing Jason for the first time. And he, the, the famous line is he told my mom, if you lined up every guy she ever dated, that's the one for her. Oh, that's great. They knew right away. And so kudos to my parents, if you're listening to this. Um, and so I just, I, he was a waiter and I was climbing my way up Disney ladder. Hopefully I did get into management after we got married, but we also knew we wanted children. And he had been blessed to have a stay at home mom that ran a daycare in the house. And I was blessed to have a stay at home mom that was a farm wife and helped out on the farm. And we just, we knew I, I can't believe we were that young. We were, let's see, 22 and 23. And we just knew, you know, for us and for our family, we wanted to be there for our children, or at least have me home. In some, even if I was working from home, some capacity. And he goes, you know, I probably should go back to college. And so we were married in May. He went back to college in August. Uh, he met this wonderful guy, told you about that kind of mentored him and said, you shouldn't be here at a community college. You should be at a four-year university. Have you seen your test scores? Do you realize nobody had ever encouraged him or told him how smart he was? And um, by our fourth anniversary, he actually had his MBA. That's great. Yeah. And so he went to, where did he go to school out in Florida then? What university? He started out at Valencia Community College for one okay. semester. 
And then uh, he took a semester off so we could move back up north because I knew people, I had connections, I could make a better living. So I could support us while he went to college full time. And so he went to, at that time it was called Moorhead State University, uh, Minnesota side of the river, just across the street from my alma mater, Concordia. And he graduated there in 2001. Then he got a full ride scholarship to get his MBA back down here in Orlando at Rollins College. And they uh -huh. had an advanced MBA program. You couldn't be working you know, outside of the program. It was full time, 12 months. They condensed a two year program into one very, very advanced full time program. I mean, he eat, sleep, breathe, his MBA for one full year. And uh, yeah, he got his MBA just a couple days before our fourth anniversary. Okay, gotcha. And then now he has, I mean, he's in management at Disney, obviously. Yes, but that is quite a story in and of itself because see, 9-11 happened while he was getting his MBA at Rollins. Oh, okay. And of course, Disney being a tourist area, people not wanting to travel, uh, that was very, very, very damaging to the economy, to tourism. And so there was a hiring freeze for many years and he tried for six years to get back into Disney after graduating with his MBA. He finally did. And so it, it took him a while, but that's another thing that he has taught me is if you know where you're supposed to be, like in your heart, if you know where you're headed or where God wants you, keep pursuing it. It might take a long time. And those six years felt like a long time, but he did get back to Disney where he wanted to be in a professional role. And it happened in the timing that it should have. That's great. So you guys get to go on, you have lots of perks. So you get to go on cruises and Disney cruises and, you know, you get to go to Disney anytime you want. So you get to see your pictures when somebody comes to town, when one of your family members or friends comes. And yeah, I keep wondering when you're going to come down, take your kids to Disney. Well, I know we were there at the wrong times, right? So I went, I got my, my master's degree at the University of Florida, what, 99, 2001. So it was, yeah, I let, I guess I graduated in May of 01, and then I was in um, Indianapolis, actually, at 9-11, at Dow, Dow okay. their um, headquarters. I had an internship there after I got my master's, and then I ended up in Iowa, and then I came home and went to Texas, so we just, we weren't overlapping during that time, so. That is so crazy. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, so we, there was a flying farmer workshop, I think, at Fort Myers, um, during that time. And so I went over there to, to meet mom and dad and just spend a weekend over there. But honestly, the whole time I was there, the two years, I was either in school or coming home to help for harvest or something. So I could take like a month in the summer, or at least I did. I probably wasn't supposed to. I was a teaching assistant. <laughs> Whoops. I know. I had a, um, oh, what was that ITA for? Technical writing for agriculture. And then, um, um, and then I was research assistant too on, on some like uh, GMA, GMO labeling and things like that. So I was just busy. I never went south of Orlando the whole time. Oh my <laughs> I, goodness. Wow. I'd have friends that came in and we'd go to Disney and uh, that kind of stuff. But like, I never went south at that point. So I made it over to Fort Myers and then went to St. Augustine and we had some family of some family they had a houseboat, and so we'd go over there, and then my brother had a banking customer 
kind of on the West Coast. And so we would just kind of stick in that whole area. But it's fun. We've gotten to go south more in the last, oh, 10 years or so um, for different things. So been to Miami and, and down Key West and all of that. So that's been fun. But, but yeah, we definitely yeah. come back. We, we've been going to Disneyland more because it's cheaper and quicker to fly to California. <laughs> And we've kind of figured out that groove, but now it's time. We try to go every couple of years if we can. So we just went in December. And so it'll be maybe in two years, we'll, we'll have a vaccine and <laughs> everybody will be back up and going. But Disney is open, right? Just recently opened again, Disney World. Yes, Disney is open. And I mean, there are definitely changes. The biggest, most obvious changes are plexiglass. There's plexiglass everywhere. And especially um, in queue lines waiting for rides, you know, it's not, it, it, you, if they can, they skip every other line. And then I've got some pictures and things. We just went to Epcot and they actually had plexiglass instead of railings for the queue lines now. And they're, they're doing a good job. It's just, you know, it's not the Disney you remember. Um, they aren't having a lot of the entertainment thing. You can't see characters. Well, I shouldn't say that. You can't go take pictures with the characters. They do have some characters that are kind of processing in more of a parade fashion, but staying six feet away. So there are some changes and I have to admit, I'm praying every day that this subsides, that we can get back to normal because it, it's not the same right now. There's still Disney magic. It's just a little bit more limited. It's like somebody put kryptonite at the doorway or something. <laughs> yeah. So how are your local cases there right where you are? You know, it's funny you say that, and I'm so hesitant to say anything because, of course, this is a very hot topic for a lot of people right now. Right, right. I want to be very respectful of people's positions and thoughts on it. But what is being shown in the media is not what I'm seeing in my normal day-to-day -day life, including having been to Disney multiple times now. Um, I have several nurse friends. They are not seeing the cases. They are, the ICUs are not full. There are plenty of ventilators. Uh, we're kind of mind-boggled, like, People on Facebook are like, do you actually know someone with COVID? No, do you? And it's like, okay, I, I, I trust that they're not, no, I don't trust, but <laughs> I'm assuming they're not lying to us on the media, but from my doctor friends, my nurse friends, actually knowing people, we don't know anyone. I, I, I don't know where these numbers are coming from. Maybe it's different in Orlando. I don't know, but you know, the numbers they're reporting, we don't see that. Okay, gotcha. And I know like more Miami area probably and yeah, Miami Dade counties, Broward counties. Yeah, we hear that they're being hit hard, but then again, right. they see that about Orange County too, but we don't see it. So right. And a lot of it might be, you know, just from a position of privilege too, honestly, because we're Oh, definitely. You know, and, and so a lot of the, the people that don't have an option, you know, that they have to go to a, a job where they're close to people outside of their house all day. And, yeah. and we don't necessarily have that where we, we can kind of pick and choose. And so that's, that may be a lot of it too. You know, I don't know. We, we haven't had very many cases locally here. We've had like 40 some cases in the county. Um, but we're still careful and wear a mask and try to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all about keeping others safe, 
Yes. But if, if someone asked me, has it impacted my life? Your life, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with the exception of my husband now working from home, which he's blessed to do because he's in more um, the real estate side of Disney now than in any operations. So he doesn't have to go on property. Um, with the exception of him working from home, I mean, because we homeschool and we had processes and classes in place, we really weren't affected. The most we were affected was in a really great way. Uh, my husband's sister and her family lived in China and were working for an organization over there. So February 2nd, they got out of China, like the last day before the United States was going to close down flights between China. And so they came back to the United States and they ended up living with us for three and a half months. Oh, but wow. that was actually such a blessing and really fun because uh, I have a daughter who's in theater. Well, all of theater was canceled. I have a daughter who's a ballerina. All ballet was canceled. I have a son that was a Boy Scout. Boy Scouts was canceled. So the kids had their cousins here to play with. You know, so we all homeschooled and did school during the day. And then, you know, about three, four o'clock wound up, kids went in the pool, we made meals together. I mean, it was really, it was a precious time for us. It was a very special time that, you know, we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And so it was kind of a blessing for us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it changes over time, you know? So like the kids got out for spring break here and never went back. And yeah, same here. Yep. Yeah. And so it was kind of a novelty that first 10 days or so. And then I just started eating more chocolate, <laughs> trying to figure out homeschool, like, oh my goodness, which was really more remote learning, you know, with their teachers. Yes. At so, so that was kind of stressful. And so, well, yeah. thank you for that distinction. Cause a lot of people think distance learning is homeschooling. No, no, I promise you, it is absolutely not. I mean, homeschoolers, we have researched the curriculums we want to use, whether it's online or I'm teaching or you know, whatever. We have, a, we have the resources in place. Distance learning, you guys were thrown into something. The teachers, bless their hearts, were thrown into it, not knowing what in the world to do. It skewed all of their lesson plans and what they were going to do for the rest of the year. That was crisis schooling. I mean, right. I think next year for anyone doing school, you know, in an online format that isn't homeschooling, that would be distance learning because I think now teachers have had time to process and think and plan. That's more what distance learning is. But I think everyone was just in crisis panic mode for the last, you know, nine to 12 weeks of school last year. And those are very different circumstances. And I think crisis schooling, distance learning, and homeschooling can be three drastically different things. That's true. That's true. So that's the main reason we're here to talk today is on how, uh, how we can go about this. So nobody really knows the crystal ball of what's going to happen and when and if oh, no. lighten up or not. We just don't know quite yet. Um, and so our school, our, my kids go to a public school. Um, and they have given people the option and said, okay, you can come to in-person learning or we will have an online program that doesn't involve their teachers and um, their normal teachers that they know. It's through a, a, another group. And so you can either do this or that. Um, and so you kind of need to commit for a whole year. So we've decided let's take that remote learning route. And then I am going to supplement a little bit. So it'll be through the school school's curriculum, all of the testing, all of that. 
but um, why I why I kind of got in touch with you with some of the supplemental. And, you know, you always think you have big dreams in the beginning, like, oh my gosh, we can really have an impact this year and cover so much more additionally. And, and let's see what we can kind of teach our kids during this year and experience. So you do, you have done in the past um, classical conversations. And so I've ordered some of that curriculum too. Um, and so tell me about classical conversations or just generally, first of all, what got you homeschooling um, and why you took that route and then kind of where, where you've evolved from that, because I know you, you keep evolving and, and finding different programs and you're networked with a bunch of homeschoolers there to know what's going on. I'm coming from the dark in most of this. I know you, and we have a cousin in Oklahoma that's done classical conversations. That's, that's mm -hmm. like it. I'm not really schooled on homeschool besides what I've seen in uh, 19 kids and counting. <laughs> Like, that's it. That's my reference point. So, oh, well, first of all, you need to know that there are as many ways to homeschool as there are families doing it. Nobody does it exactly the same. And I would be concerned if someone was trying to copy what someone else was doing, because that's a recipe for disaster. One of the things in all the trainings I've done for different homeschool groups, um, Comparison is the thief of joy. I'm going to say that one more time because somebody out there needs to hear it. Comparison is the thief of joy. Everybody's kids are different. Everybody's learning styles are different. Everybody's teaching styles are different. And if you're trying to copy what someone else is doing, chances are you're going to end up frustrated and quit. You've got to find what works for your family. Going back to what you said, how did I start homeschooling? Oh my goodness, this is, I'm gonna tell you the truth. God told us to. I don't wanna over-spiritualize this, but that is the honest truth. And God spoke to my husband. <laughs> and my husband received this calling through his prayer time and devotions and Bible studies, and then came to me and said, you know, I really think God's telling us to homeschool. I'm like, oh, really? You think so, huh? Great. So when um, you get to stay home and school the kids and I'll go back to work, yeah, then we'll do this. <laughs> and that's the honest truth. We had just built a house like next to the brand new, most technologically advanced elementary school. You know, I was looking at that big building. I was this close to lunch with friends. You know, I was uh, just wasn't thinking in that vein very much at all. But we knew a couple families. You know, at that time, uh, my first child was born in 2003. We knew a couple families up in North Dakota and Minnesota that homeschooled. Not many. It was not prevalent. And at that time, little did I know I was living in the mecca of homeschooling and available resources and options here in Orlando. I mean, very truly, there is any and every resource possibly available to us here. And I feel so blessed to be in this hub of learning. It's been beautiful for us. Um, and so it was just a, a wacky series of events. Um, I kind of pulled the fleece on God and said, okay, if I'm supposed to do this, really, show me a college-educated male who is supporting his family and who has been homeschooled because I'm just, I'm a little leery about this. I was the, the naysayer. I was the pessimist, very honestly and truly. 
Well, um, that summer, my sister-in-law, the one that just lived with us for three and a half months, got married. And she was a public school teacher. And we sat down with her and her new husband when we went up to visit them for the July 4th weekend. And Jason starts telling her with much fear and trepidation, you know, I think we're going to homeschool. And Daryl, my new brother-in-law, looked at us and said, oh, yeah, I was homeschooled. And I burst out crying. <laughs> Here he was sitting across the table for me. Not only that, God put him in my family. I mean, I'm like, that's it. I mean, I had pulled every test on God possible. And he's just like, okay, whatever, you know, here you go. I'm going to, your brother-in-law. And so I, I was immediately convicted and immediately started researching options. Well, I didn't know what to do. I knew nothing about homeschooling. And uh, I happened to learn about the Abeka program which a lot of people start off with. And I loved Abeka. Um, I start off buying what I call the Abeka box. I got the DVDs that had all the teaching on videos, popped it in the DVD player, ripped out the worksheet, put it in front of my daughter, and it worked great. I'm, I'm telling you, it was wonderful. And even we did the Abeka box on top of classical conversations from the get-go. So we did classical conversations for a total of 11 years. Uh, last year was the first year we didn't do classical conversations. My daughter was that I was talking about in kindergarten is now just completed her junior year and is going to be a senior. So uh, let's see, from kindergarten to fourth grade, we did the Abeka box per grade level for every child until Kira was in fourth grade. In fourth grade, classical conversation starts an intensive program called Essentials. And I love essentials. I taught essentials for five years, but let me tell you the first two years in it, I wanted to quit because I'm like, this is like college level grammar and they're teaching it to fourth through sixth graders. But what I didn't realize is that's when their brains can best absorb it. They're like little sponges. I mean, my kids were understanding things that my adult, you know, concrete brain wasn't soaking in as fast as theirs was. And it was a wonderful program, but it's very intense. And we could not do the Abeka box on top of classical conversations at that point. So we kept on uh, Abeka for Bible and math and switched over to classical conversations. But now in the foundations years for elementary, you still have to supplement um, math, a language arts program, and you know just other reading. It's not a complete curriculum. It is an excellent, uh, what I call spine. It is the spine for you to build your homeschool curriculum around. Um, and that's when I started learning that, you know what? Good books. You can just educate reading good books. Okay, this week in Classical Conversations, we're learning about the circulatory system. I happen to have an Usborne book on the shelf about the circulatory system. Let, let's go read it. You know, just good reading. I don't care what method of homeschooling you choose. You can choose, you know, Montessori, Charlotte Mason, unschooling, classical, traditional schooling, reading. Doesn't matter what you do. If you are reading to your children and teaching them how to read, that will cover a multitude of sins, as some people say. Not theologically accurate, but, you know, you get the drift. Um, and so that was beautiful for us. And I became absolutely 
devoted to classical conversations for many, many, many years. Like I said, we spent 11 years there. Um, I was a tutor trainer. Um, I, I got very involved. Well, my middle child was in challenge B, which is seventh grade. A and B is seventh and eighth grade, middle school. And my oldest was in challenge two. High school is challenge one, two, three, and four. And one thing I started recognizing is, this is only in the high school levels, please hear me. They do six classes, six strands. Everybody does them in that class. There was no flexibility. Well, if you have one student who is more science oriented, like once, you know, to, to go into that field, that's different from somebody who, like my daughter, wants to be an author. And some strands are very good for what they want. Sometimes you want more. And my daughter would have done great in classical conversations. My son at that age probably would not. He's just going into eighth grade this year. And um, I don't think he would have excelled like my daughters did at challenge. He's just, he's a different type of learner. You have to be a very good reader and a very good writer to truly excel or, or find resources. There are resources to compensate, but that's how it worked for our family. I'm not saying it's that way for every family. And Kira wanted more. She wanted writing courses. She wanted to do intro to fiction and poetry and creative writing. I mean, she's written a novel now and is working on publishing it. She just, she wanted more in that area. My other daughter, my middle daughter coming up, she, she's like, okay, mom, I know this. And she's very good, very gifted, you know, very brilliant academically, but she wants to teach little kids. I mean, we have known from the time she was 18 months old and she had a younger baby brother. She is going something with early childhood development, you know, something uh, early childhood education. Those are the types of classes she wants. Well, those aren't a part of the CC curriculum. And so we made the choice last year to pull out of classical conversations and do more an eclectic style. Like um, my older daughter is dual enrolling at the community college for some of those writing courses she wants. Um, she's doing one of them online through True North Academy. She's doing, it's called Dinner with Shakespeare and Dinner with Dickens. They spend one year learning about um, Elizabethan England and Shakespeare's writings, and then the next semester learning about Victorian England and Dickens' writings. I mean, the other thing to know is when you get to that level, especially any parents out there that are listening, it's like, well, I can't teach biology and chemistry to my high schooler. I can't either. I am so not the science person. There is any and every resource out there available to you. Um, Online classes are huge. I mean, it's a multi, multi-million dollar industry homeschooling is. Uh, there are videos, if you want DVDs. Uh, I just got kind of hooked on these great courses. Have you heard of the website, The Great Courses? Oh my God, for $10 a month, what you can learn off The Great Courses is phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, right now, We've been so blessed. Kira was able to have Laura Caruso in person. She's at providentialhistory.net. My oldest is a history buff, and she has to be to be an author. You really do. Um, 
And she did more history outside of classical conversations from the get-go, from her freshman year. And so we've been doing Laura Caruso's Providential History online for numerous number of years now. And um, I also highly recommend Dave Raymond's uh, History Through Compass Classroom. If there are parents saying, like me, I can't do biology and chemistry, Apologia. Apologia has wonderful online classes. If you're here in Florida, we have the Florida Virtual School, um, you know, online classes. You do not have to be responsible. What I tell people when I mentor them through the process of beginning to homeschool, especially if they're pulling kids out of public school and all of a sudden they think they're a teacher and have to teach everything. No, 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 no. You are the facilitator. Yes, you are legally, ethically, and morally responsible for your children's educational development. But sometimes that just means finding the right resources for your child. Um, some children are audio learners. Some are visual learners. Some are kinesthetic learners. You, you, you kind of have to find a buddy that has been in the homeschooling world. And now thanks to the miracle of Facebook, I mean, you can do that. And they don't even have to live in your town. And just find out what resources are out there. You know, what are the age of your kids? How do you think they learn best? What level of involvement do you want to have as a parent? You know, if you tell me those things, I can point you to a resource that will work for you. Do you want to be part of a co-op? You know, get, get on Facebook, get on the internet, find out what uh, groups are in your area. Are they mostly a social co-op? You know, are they, uh, do they get together for social interaction for the kids or are they academic? We were a part of Vine Ripe Kids for oh, all of my children's entire elementary career. We had classical conversations for the academic portion, but Vine Ripe Kids was our social outlet. You know, they had picnics and parties and, you know, get togethers and field trips and things like that. So getting connected with other people in the homeschool world for us and for our family and for my social kids, it was vital. It was vital that they had that outlet. And we just happened to live in a wonderful area that's full of that. I mean, I could throw a stone and hit <laughs> 12 different homeschool groups just from where I live here in Orlando. So I could go on and on and on, but it really depends on the family. You know, does the mom work? Does, does the dad work? Do they work from home? Do they work outside of the house? You know, again, going back to the kids, what ages are they? What are their interests? In, in the elementary years, feeding their interests. Because in the elementary years, I think the single most important thing other than reading to your child is getting them just to love learning. You know, a child that hates to go to school is going to hate learning. So make learning fun, make learning interesting. They will learn if they have the love of learning. And that love of learning is going to be fostered differently for every single child. I know moms that have pulled out their hair because, well, what worked for this child isn't working for this child. Well, yeah, they're different kids. And the one size fits all approach very rarely fits all. You had any friends who um, their kids have gone to public school and then and then they've switched, you know, in mid-elementary or junior high or high school. Have you had that? And what absolutely. So what are some of the common struggles and what have people found? Um, because like our kids want to be at school. They want to be at public school and they, 
we obviously don't even have any private schools. We're so rural and all of that. Like they just have their friends and they want to be with their friends. And right. we've just decided this year, you know, what might be even more helpful to the school to not have as many kids so they can make sure that um, they can social distance and do all of that. So hopefully they'll still get, you know, the funding for our kids and to be able to do this online program through them, things like that, because we really rural areas, which you grew up in. Um, mm -hmm. Very much. I understand where you're coming from. And <laughs> so, you know, what? there's the spectrum of all of this. Um, so if, if kids really want to be in school, but they are home, they're going to be home, kind of like that crisis, what you talked about in the spring, what are some tips for some parents um, based on what your friends have said and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. What be helpful to those of us whose kids may not be totally on board yet with this. And even if it's just for a year before we, you know, head back and are all together again. So what are, what are some specific tips for people like me? Well, I think finding the motivation for the dissatisfaction was key. You know, for you, that's, they're going to miss their friends. Right. So the first thing you've got to do is find something social for them to do. I mean, I, I know somebody in the homeschooling world that they are going to have COVID families, you know, three or four families that they know and trust to have the same level of safety consciousness that they expect. And that's going to be their COVID family for the next year. And they're going to trust that, you know, when our kids get together, our kids can play, you know, just having that, what we kind of termed COVID family. These are families we trust, they're families we know, they're families we're going to get together with, and it's going to be okay. Because you can't completely, totally isolate an extroverted, socially minded child and expect them to thrive. I mean, if you cut off that deep inner need for them, it's going to do more damage than good. Um, and there's always an element of risk in life. I mean, you know, living on a farm, when I was five years old, my dad was run over by a disc and he almost died. You know, that element of danger exists regardless of where you live. If you're driving a car, you could be in a car accident. I mean. And wasn't your dad a fighter pilot too? Yes. <laughs> he was a fighter pilot and a crop duster, which yes. are safest occupations, all, all three of those. <laughs> Yes. So, and again, that factors into my upbringing. I am not as scared as other people because I have lived with that element of danger. My dad flew crop dusting and F4 Phantom fighters. You know, there's always been that reality of both mortality that life can end at any moment, as well as life is dangerous. Driving a car is dangerous. You know, being exposed to COVID is a possibility and you can't completely isolate your children in a bubble. Especially, like I said, I have one introvert, my son, and two extroverts, my daughters. You, you can't take away that element of being with friends. Now, for people who are more rural, that might come, you know, let's get together once a week and let our kids play. Or that might even be online, a Zoom call where they can see each other. Um, I know my daughter has a third cousin up in Minnesota that if they don't talk during the week, my daughter goes into mode, you know, <laughs> not herself. And so they've been doing a lot of Zoom and FaceTiming and, and things like that. We're blessed. We live in this beautiful technological era where 
our kids have that ability that even when you and I were growing up, that wasn't a possibility. Yeah. I mean, remember when we used to pay for long distance phone calls by the minute? Right, right. Yeah, it was just totally different. We'd write letters. I remember having a desk in my room and doing that. Yeah. Very many letters these days, but we did exactly <laughs> that with our kids though on Zoom. And so uh, Mark's class, his teacher had a, a time, you know, once a week, you could pick one of two times and then they would just check in for like an hour or two, all the kids, yeah. could, you know, to see, and they, and they didn't do much academically in that, but just to say, Hey, how's your well being? How's your soul? All of that. And then and that's important. That yeah. Absolutely important. The only problem I saw with that, and it might be different in rural areas for those that tried to do it. If it got too big, it was too chaotic. Right. Keeping it small. Right. I'm talking six people or less. That's you know, what we have at the separate group. Yeah, absolutely. We did for each kid. We had, you know, two or three or four friends and we had a weekly time where they could just check in for so that one of them could feel heard and tell them what was going on and do all that. So that's good. But I just kind of got Zoom. Oh, zoomed out. Zoomed out. Totally zoomed out. Because yes. so, even yeah. family calls, you know, we have um, weekly family calls on Jeremy's side. And um, yeah, sometimes if, if the group is too big, I just can't. I, I can't do it. Too much for little brains to process. Yes. And I've got a little brain. <laughs> No, you don't. No, you don't. I know you better than that. No. Oh, yeah, but it's, you know, you don't want to feel like you're on performance all the time. And that's where mm -hmm. like you and I are talking right now on Zoom and we can see each other. Um, but for me, that's different one-on-one -on -one as compared to a group of 20 or something. It's, it's just a little bit different. So I think absolutely. That's, and then like you say, find people who um, are similar and, and do life with uh, well, and another thing you, you asked about tips and tricks for people, you know, transitioning. Um, the other thing is don't be afraid to pick something, go with it. And if it doesn't work, change. Don't be afraid to mess up. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try an online class and then say, oh, golly, this really isn't working for my child and to switch don't beat yourself up and keep trying to make something work that doesn't. I mean, that's just going to completely destroy your child's love of learning. And again, I cannot emphasize that enough because how much do you actually remember from your elementary, middle school, high school years, like things you actually learned? Right. I remember more from science and I'm not really a science girl, I would say. But we had a great teacher, and I think the teacher exactly English. I remember my English teacher is still at the school where I where I graduated from, and she was pivotal. I mean, I I think last night, even just the whole community, um, because I'm kind of like your oldest, where I the older I get, the more I just want to maybe write and just do some fun things like that. And you, you think it's not all in a classroom because Miss Peace um, was my English teacher in junior high and high school. Um, she made us write 20 page term papers and we had to use little yeah. notes for every new thought we'd find in a book and we'd have to write the source. And then we had the yes. cards and I mean, it's just so different now, but we had a 20 page paper we had to do and weekly we had to do compositions, you know, 500 word stories. And every other week you would edit the 
the story from the week before and you'd get, you know, all on paper. Like, I can't even imagine my handwriting is so horrible. (laughs) You read it. Well, I I should find one of those papers, but you know, like in 4-H, I was 4-H recorder. And so I had to, you know, I had to write a story about the 4-H meeting and then I do it on the computer and then I'd print it out, physically put it in an envelope and label that. So many kids, you know, we, we get to teach that and, and, you know, send it to the four local newspapers. And uh, just so through 4-H, through all this stuff, they taught us these life skills. And so to be well-rounded, I've got to take more of a conscious effort of what are my kids learning? Can they, do they have this skill and where did they get it from? And because uh, really this summer, honestly, they've been on their iPads more than ever before and TV and early in the spring when it's cooler, it just gets so blasted hot here. It's it humid where you are and hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they just haven't been as, you know, active outside. Like when we, we went to the mountains a week ago for like two nights and that was great. We took our bikes and did all of that. So um, we just, I need to figure out how to transition my kids back. And it's just going to be a lot different than just going first day of school and getting everything ready, dropping them off and say goodbye. So there's more prep right. for parent. Um, what, tell me a little bit about your schedules, how that's changed per child maybe on how much it was schedule. And then also with your prep work. Um, and like you said, you may not have to teach the class. You just have to make sure all the people are in place and make sure that that child learns and, Well, you have to recognize I have three kids that are teenagers now. So my teenage homeschool years look completely, totally different than my elementary homeschool years. But um, I, I do have to touch on one thing you said because it was so important. People aren't teaching their kids life skills anymore. I know so many kids that don't know how to cook don't know how to do their own laundry, don't know how to balance a checkbook. I mean, these are things they are going to use every day. They might not use a geometry formula or um, classifying, you know, kingdom, phylum, family, order, genus, species, you know, all that, but they are going to need to know how to make a bed (laughs) or to do laundry. So don't forsake that during the day and don't think, oh, this is chore time. This isn't school time. No, it really is because you're teaching them organization. You're teaching them responsibility. I mean, there are so many things. I mean, you can get into math with recipes. Okay, I want you to double this. We're having company, double the recipe. I mean, I know that those are simple things, but they're necessary things. So like, for example, our day starts off with the kids have three morning chores. They have three chores they have to do every morning. That's uh, usually uh, before bed, I will throw towels in the washer and switch them to the dryer. Well, in the morning, they have to fold a load of laundry. They have to unload the dishwasher that's been run the night before, put any breakfast dishes in, and they have to take care of the dogs. Basic, basic. Um, Sometimes they get to their rooms and make their beds. Sometimes that doesn't happen until after lunch when we take our after lunch break. Um, The other thing parents need to realize, please hear me on this. School days do not have to be nine to four every day. In fact, what most people are gonna find out is 
you know, at school, they have to have systems in place to manage 15, 20, 25 kids and going to the bathroom and lunchtime and putting things away. You don't have that organizational time at home. You're going to get things done faster. You might only school from 9 to 12 in the mornings if you have an elementary student. In fact, I would hope so. I would hope you're only doing that. Um, if you have an older student, you know, maybe you do a couple hours, like three hours in the morning, two to three in the afternoon, depending on how many courses they're taking and what classes they're doing and the difficulty level. But just know you're going to get things done faster because they could just do it. They can apply it. They can get it done. There aren't the distractions that there are. Even happy distractions like friends and, you know, passing notes. And I know that happens. I did that in school. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, um, our, our day starts with morning chores. And then it used to be everyone was up and we started Bible time at 830. Now that my kids are teenagers and I've got one in theater and one in ballet, um, sports and activities like that run later. And so they're sleeping in a little bit later. So we have had to transition our Bible time to after lunch because, okay, everybody's up by lunch and going and everything, but the kids are waking up at different times. And I found out trying to force them to wake up at a certain time for one of my children didn't work because she got cranky and crabby if she didn't have her sleep. I mean, we're going back to what grandma told me growing up. Kids these days don't get enough good, healthy food and they don't get enough sleep. It's true. It is absolutely true. Your children will function better if they're eating good, healthy food and getting enough sleep. Now, the temptation for all homeschoolers, our family included, is the kitchen's open 24 hours a day, right? You know, there's snacks and there's things to munch on. Be careful of that. I mean, Americans have this horrible, what do I want to say, stigma or stereotype overseas as fat, obese Americans. You know, we don't want to perpetuate that. I understand different body sizes and body types and things like that, but... Um, also, if kids are snacking too much during school or during work time, then they won't eat the good stuff at lunch and dinner. So, just so parents have an eye on that. Yes, we have a snack time each morning and each afternoon because kids need more calories than we do. They are still growing. Their brains are still functioning. I mean, if my son starts getting crabby, it's like, okay, have a granola bar. <laughs> you know, you need food. I can tell you're getting hangry, you know, hungry and angry. But I think that that definitely has to do with, with coronavirus too, because I follow um, yes. into low carbon D and a lot of people on Twitter um, that we have gone away from three meals a day and making sure it's real food and not highly processed food. And, um, you know, we don't, our bodies don't need as much as we think they need. And, and we don't need to snack all day, every day when our insulin goes crazy. Uh -huh. and, think there's a lot to that where they say, you know, don't eat that. That'll ruin your dinner. So I'm trying to relearn that. My, my kids, yeah, just eat all day, every day. <laughs> I've got to get back now. That. Right. But they, but they say that with coronavirus though, like it definitely, the more we, I think we're a country that's 50 or 60% obese, including me. And so I, I lost to what 40 pounds since last August and I'm still in the obese category like it's crazy and so I've got a little electronic scale I watch every day um but 
but whenever I'm eating the right foods, you're not as hungry and they're filling and they're giving yes. your and your brain what you need. So that is a huge component of all of this. Can we come out of this a year later um, healthier than we went in and more resilient? Um, because honestly, if I caught coronavirus, it would probably do me a lot more harm than someone who is metabolically healthy um, and strong and all of that. You know, if, if you're in a good place health-wise, you probably don't have as much risk. Um, but if you're not in a good place, let's work to get in a good place. And, and it's such a struggle for me every day. And so, you know, people are going to choose to stay home and do remote learning for lots of different reasons. Maybe they have an elderly grandma mm -hmm. them or whatever, but yeah, what can we do to impact our, our families first ourselves, our families, our communities for health. And um, let's come out of this stronger as a nation. Um, Absolutely. Well, and now is the time to not only have an awareness, but to create healthy habits. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think it's up to us as parents. It is not the school system's job or responsibility to create healthy lifestyle habits, maybe right. academic habits. You know, they try to encourage those. But this is really, I think, a rare opportunity in our modern history, okay, parents, what do you really need to work on with your kids? Is, right. it, is it technology? Like right now in the summer, I limit my kids to one hour of technology a day. Now, do we right. Yeah, if, if we're in the car and it's a long car trip, absolutely. Most of the time we do audiobooks in the car. We, we really try to do that. But, um, you know, or a, a friend came over. Oh, can we have a little extra time, you know, to play with a friend? Sure. You know, there's always exceptions. But I know so many people, you are not the only one that has said, my kids have become addicted to technology, whether it's iPad or computer or phone or whatever. That to me, <laughs> forgive me, but in my little bubble, that is more concerning than coronavirus right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I use technology. I love technology. I have a Kindle. I have an iPad. I have an iPhone. I have a laptop. I get it. I really get it. And we use those all for good reasons and good purposes. But like anything else in our children, it's creating habits. And how do we want them to look as adults you know, we need to start those habits now. Mm -hmm. And whether it's chores, whether it's nutrition, whether it's technology, I mean, pick, pick whatever it is you want to work on with your kids. With my kids, um, with my youngest, what we really concentrated on last year was reading. Can he read? Absolutely. He's a very good reader. Does he like to read? No. No. So... You know, he made it, he, he does great at school. Uh, compared to some other people I know that have children with significant challenges, I have nothing to worry about. And I'm very grateful for that. But finding something he liked, and for him, it started with Harry Potter. It really did. I read every single word of every single chapter out loud to him. And then we bought all the audiobooks and we listened to all the audiobooks again, numbers one through seven. And you know what? My guess is out of everything we've done in his elementary career, that's what he's going to remember coming out of it. I remember when mom read and then we listened to the audiobook of Harry Potter. It's creating those family memories. And mm -hmm. now 
that just happened to be the key. That was the catalyst for him that unlocked a love of learning. He has now read the entire Magic Treehouse series and the Imagination yeah. series, and he's on to Keeper of the Lost Cities. I mean, he has done, I think, all seven books audio-wise in the last, I would say, five, six weeks. And he's even bought some of them himself. You know, I'm like, honey, we're buying an audiobook every week here. This is getting expensive. Mom, I love it enough. I'll buy it. Oh my goodness. That opened up a whole conversation on money management. And okay, well, let's give you some opportunities to earn, you know, and, and things like that. Um, find out what your child loves literature wise. I was just talking on the phone with a mom that she's like, I've pulled it all out. You know, the Harry Potter, the magic Treehouse. My child hates fiction. She wants nonfiction. She wants to read biographies. She wants to know about real people. And I just, I walked her through tons of series. There's, you know, the YWAM books. There are um, values tales and cornerstones of freedom and the, the who is, who are books that are really popular now. I love those. And just, you know, brainstorm together. Okay, your child doesn't like all these, you know, Froofy, you know, fiction things. Let's find nonfiction for her that she love. Because if your child can love picking up a book, they can learn absolutely anything they want to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, we watch a lot of documentaries too. Like, and that's great. And that kind of thing. So even though they're on a TV or, you know, an audible book is even on, on our phone device time, you know, when we look at our screen yeah. time week that stuff's still on there they've got great podcasts you know like we love the australian broadcast corporation has the best kids podcast you know and that's awesome um sometimes they say some things that we wish they didn't but um <laughs> overall they're the best podcast for kids and so we listen to podcasts instead of audiobooks with them but i need to think about that and there are probably all these library apps where you can access a lot of audible books or not audible but audio oh, yes free. You know, we have the Audible, but Jeremy and I just use that for ourselves. I hadn't thought about downloading those because we got the Harry Potter books for Mark and he's watched all the movies first, which is probably the wrong way to do it. And then coming back, but he read the first, he read the first book and we were so proud of him. Like, yes. And he finished that this spring during, during crisis online learning or whatever it is. So <laughs> that's, that's good. I think we're just training back. I think for us, we're summer is busy for us as farmers. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, we just kind of had to do whatever and the kids are happy. And so we just let them be happy. You know, they've been watching yeah. shows and that kind of stuff, but we'll get back to where we are, but it, well, not perfect. We'd be, you know, a normal summer. We'd be doing the summer activities that we haven't done yeah. this year um, with swimming lessons and all of that. That's good and healthy where kids can get out and get their vitamin D and play with friends and get exhausted. We just haven't done that. Um, well, and also once in a hundred year pandemic, I, that's what I tell myself. Let's, let's make sure we remember that this is not normal. It's not going to be like this forever, but what can we do? To no, exactly. And the other thing is I differentiate technology time from educational time. If they're on technology. Oh, like, okay. If they're watching the great courses, or we also have a subscription to masterclass. If yeah. they're watching, those that doesn't count towards tech time that's learning that, that that's distance learning that's watching a course online that doesn't count in fact for kids um magic school bus the science ones um liberty's kids 
uh, oh, I love wild crats. Oh my goodness, my kids know more about animals from wild crats than I could possibly tell you. To me, that doesn't count towards their technology time. That's learning time. Oh yeah, absolutely, I agree. And then do you ever take your kids to the library? How often do you take them to the library? <laughs> that fit in your world. Well, okay, I'm weird here. Uh, do as I say, not as I do here, <laughs> because I'm a bookaholic. I love books. So if my kids want a book, um, we're very blessed that within a certain reasonable budget, I pretty much just buy books. Yeah. But we have a phenomenal library right down the street. I am horrible about returning them on time, and I end up paying more in fines than <laughs> if I just bought the stupid book. Right, um, right. Okay, true confessions time. True confessions of a horribly unorganized homeschooler. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, we have a phenomenal library here in Orange County. I mean, and we do have overdrive, so we can check out ebooks. And all of my kids have Kindles. And um, I love that because then they're just returned at a certain time. They just go off your Kindle. You're, you never have the late fees or things like that. Um, we, there was a period where I wanted them to learn about the library and how to check things out. They all have library cards. We did it really well for a couple months and then mommy went back to buying books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got a, uh, I don't even know how you say it, but literary. Have you seen that on Facebook? I saw it came across on Facebook. And so oh that this summer where they it's kind of like I, I think it's more like a stitch fix for books you know so like with a stitch fix for like clothes oh, wow. and yeah. you like five items a month you can set it up you want new items once a month once a quarter once a year and they send you a box of five things and you tell them your sizes and you go through a style quiz and all this and then if you don't like something you just send it back but if you keep all you get a discount so this literary is is similar so you just put in your kids age they don't ask for what they like I, I don't know if it's the same package nationwide that they send every month but they send five books per subscription um, mm -hmm. per kid um, and so you can set it up to where you just get a box for each kid every other month or every three months but that's so neat because it's basically if you end up buying all five books they give you a cheaper price than you would just buy each one on Amazon and it's great because it's books that oh. I've heard of and the kids love. And so like one of them, they love so much. We got the whole series then. And awesome. I've got a stack of books that we can go through, you know, and some of them, they look at me like, yeah, I'm not going to read that. But I can't tell because I'm like, yeah, we will read this because you never know. Don't judge it by its cover. Like we might have fun with this. So that's kind of a great thing too, because we've, we haven't gone to the library either really, uh, and there for a while it was closed anyway. And so it'd be curbside checkout where if you knew what you're going to read or whatever, you could do that. But part of the fun right. going to libraries, just seeing what's new and, you know, on their displays and doing that. And, but these have been great trips, Karen. And I'm, I've already taken up like an hour and 15 minutes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so there we are. I, I'm having so much fun. I could talk to you for another three hours. I mean, this oh, is so much fun. Yes. Get caught up. So, and um, kind of wrap this up and um, maybe give me your top three homeschooling resources. Okay. okay. Um, well, I'm going to have to divide them into categories, three categories. Okay. One, it's where to look for curriculum or buy curriculum. Okay. Um, of course, Amazon is on there. There's a place called Rainbow Resource Center. 
It's rainbowresource.com, I think. Um, that get their catalog, just look through their catalog. It, that's what I've been showing people is the rainbow resource catalog. And also, um, it used to be CBD Christian book distributors. Now I think it's just christianbook.com. They have a whole homeschooling section and it's huge. It is absolutely huge. If you go on their website as well, again, I think it's christianbook.com. You can request a catalog. And I'm a tactile person. I still love to look and hold books and catalogs. So, um, okay, that, that's my resource there. As far as curriculum, like online curriculum, go to Facebook. Find a group. I know there's a national one called Hip Homeschool Moms. Um, that's a, a great place to ask questions. Um, for those contemplating classical conversations, there is, a, you know, a classical conversations Facebook group. Look, look locally as well. I mean, there are tons of women here in Orlando that are posting resources all the time. I, you know, I, I know your, your audience is broader and in more states, but find out locally who is homeschooling and what they know. I, I just, I think Facebook is a great resource for that. I'm not happy with Facebook as of lately in this new coronavirus world, but I still stay on for the groups because I do, you know, get tips and tricks and nuggets. And the third thing I would say is know your state's homeschool laws because those requirements are going to vary from state to state. Florida is an easy peasy state to homeschool in. It is just a pleasure. It is a joy. Uh, California is very restrictive. So depending on where you live, if you're going to pursue the homeschooling option, find somebody in your state that knows or just look up the homeschooling law. And the other thing to remember is just because someone told you something doesn't mean it's true. You know, if it's not in the homeschooling law, no, you don't have to do it. I know there's a lot of people that say, if you homeschool, Floridians still have to abide by our Sunshine State standards. No, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> yeah, that was a big myth and a big rumor going around. Um, there was a big rumor that you had to do end of the year testing. Well, that's one of the options for your reporting in the state of Florida, but you can also do an evaluation by a state certified teacher. And that's what we ended up doing. Um, don't just take what someone else says. Look up the homeschool law, know your rights, know what you can do, and realize that God has blessed you with the children you have. Nobody is going to know them better. Nobody is going to know their learning style better. Other people can give you support and encouragement and tips and ideas, but nobody is going to be the biggest advocate for your child other than you. And yes, you can do it. I don't care if you're working full time. I don't care you know, what is going on in your life. Yes, you can homeschool. It, it is possible. Does that mean it's for everybody? No, I've seen people that are terrible at it. You know, they just, for whatever reason or whatever life circumstances, it's not the right time for them to be homeschooling. Then you can still homeschool by finding buddies. 
Um, I'm going to be homeschooling the boy two doors down this next year. His parents are taking him out of public school. They don't want you know the exposure to the germs. And so we buddied up. And so I actually you know, and walking them through the process of which classes my son is taking online. So their son is going to be doing the same ones and I'm going to school them together. You can find ways to do it. It is not impossible regardless of your situation, but don't put limitations on yourself that may not be there and may not be real. They may just be limitations in your head. Right. That's true. That's true. That's what's so helpful about friends, you know, last spring of just saying, hey, you know, our expectations are way too high for what we've been thrown into. So yes. lower the expectations and and go with it. And so that that helps finally in the end, you know, where you just have to do what you're going to do and what's best. So, and you know, it's interesting. I had a pastor that once said, as our emotions get higher, our reasoning gets lower and it's a seesaw like that. It's the same thing with learning. If you lower your expectations, you will find that often the kids won't feel the pressure and they'll start exceeding those expectations. So it's kind of a teeter totter like that. If you don't expect so much, your kids will surprise you and please you. That's great. That's great. Because I have much to learn because I was not a model homeschool teacher last spring. So we'll see how this goes. Um. <laughs> you know, for you and any other moms out there doing this, don't be afraid to ask. Ask questions. Find help. I mean, I'm, I'm going into my 13th year of homeschooling. I've completed 12. But I'm still asking questions of those moms that I know have been schooling like 28, 29, 30 years. You know, there are some of those here in Orlando. They have big families with huge age gaps, and they've been doing this a lot longer than I have. I still look to them, and I ask them questions. I, I have a senior. I'm writing transcripts for the first time, like official transcripts, legally binding documents that are going off to colleges, and I'm like, ah, you know, this is a little daunting. But no, I did it. I did it in less than a week, and I did it with the help of, uh, you know, an, another friend that said, don't worry. That you're going to get through this. This is great. Here's how you figure out a GPA. You know, just ask. The resources are out there. And it doesn't matter what level you're at. We can't do this alone. Right. Exactly right. Well, thank you, Karin, for your time. I appreciate it. It was so yeah. cool. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yes, absolutely. And have a good trip to North Dakota. Um, and say hello to your folks for us. And and your brothers and all of that. So I will. My love to your parents and your families as well. Awesome. Very good. Well, you have a great day. You too. All right. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast today. She had a lot of fun. If you want to read some of the crazy stuff my mom writes about our life on the farm, go to her blog at farmerist.com. Have a great day!